You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. For the next four weeks, uh, we're going to talk about the church, what the church is, how the church functions, what the church does, uh, things that should be happening in the church. Um, And what we're calling this series is Pillars. Uh, It's the foundation of a healthy church, the idea of what it looks like here at Grace Hills and the four pillars that we believe is what makes a church thrive and grow, that we see um, depth uh, being uh, God's will and uh, mission accomplished, as well as see numerical growth that comes from that when the church functions the way that he's designed it to do. Uh, So we'll go uh, one week, we'll look at each pillar until we go through all four of those. And then when we come to our Vision Sunday, just before our, our budget meeting, I'll go ahead and share the strategy of how we can grow in each one of those pillars here at the church and what our hopes are as we move forward for that. So that's kind of the plan as we move forward so you kind of know where we're going and what we're doing. Now, uh, I remember how everything shut down during the pandemic in Seattle. You're like, oh, I've heard a million sermons. Everyone's talked about the pandemic. I get it. But there's a point here and I want to get there. It's interesting how the world got slow and quiet. That's kind of how I kept looking at the world. It it hit in Seattle. Uh, That was the first place that it hit. And so we didn't know what was going on like uh, most people. We didn't know what uh, was going to happen. And so uh, like all churches, we kind of figured out, okay, what can we do? What can we not do? And they said, we can't be around people. Well, that's kind of what we do. So we shut down like most people did uh, in the beginning phases of what was going on. Uh, We did what a lot of churches did is we did a lot of online service. You guys did that here as well. We did uh, online Zoom life groups as well. And uh, I would say this, those were a great supplement. It didn't take the place. Uh, we offer our live streaming here, not for those that don't feel like getting up and just like to hang out in their pajamas. We offer that for those that can't make it here, for those that don't have the ability to make it here, or those that are on vacation that still want to be a part of what's going on. We offer that because we want to make sure that you have that ability. But what we found was, is uh, it, it wasn't working. And there was this question that I hear all the time with church. There's this, there's this thought process that I hear from people, and it goes sort of like this in some variation of what I'm about to say. Um, why do we really need to meet together? Why do I really need to go to church? I, I don't need to go to a church service to love Jesus. Or my relationship with God is just that. It's between me and God and no one else. Um, or or I, uh, my, my, my favorite is, I listen to a lot of pastors online, so I'm getting fed the way that I need to. And then my all-time favorite is, I, nature is my church, Simon. I go out into the wilderness and I worship the Lord there. And, and you can, and that's great. That's not church. I'm just going to go ahead and burst that bubble right now. Here's the thing. Uh, John Wesley said this about this idea of uh, solitude in Christianity. It says, holy solitaries is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. What he's saying there is this, we weren't meant to do life as Christians in isolation, that it is a communal thing that we do. As God instituted the church, it was meant to be done in community always. 
And what we saw during the pandemic is for the first time, this idea, this challenge of being in community, of going to church, was put to the test. And we got to see what it looked like to be a Christian without being in fellowship with others, without being in person, without being face-to-face. And we saw that it was on trial. Were these other people right? Were we just off base on what church looked like and how it was supposed to function? Was meeting together a waste of time? Well, the church that I was at, I was at a church called Cross and Crown in Seattle during that time, and um, we realized really quickly that we weren't on board with this whole online-only kind of gig. And we waited about two and a half months. We were just kind of jonesing for our people to get back together to worship in the sanctuary. And so we decided after two and a half months that we were going to have a service. And so we had a very small group. You had to register for it. All the chairs were put apart. We had masks on. And we met down in the basement with lots of ventilation. And we said, let's just see what happens. And about 25 to 30 people showed up. Now, remember... We hadn't been around each other for a couple of months. We had these new rhythms in place. And we were like, man, am I? And I thought to myself, I didn't know how I was going to respond. I'm like, am I even going to like this? Am I even going to want to be around people again? And so the service started and um, they, they played the first song. And I made it about three lines in and just started bawling. Just sobbing. I didn't even realize how much I missed being with God's people, worshiping together collectively, pointing our attention, our focus, our honor, and our praise towards the Savior. And what we found after that moment was that group grew quickly. And it snowballed. And we had to find a way to go back into the worship, the main sanctuary. And then all of a sudden, word got on the street because no other churches were meeting at that time. And all these churches heard that we were meeting. So now all these other churches were coming to our church. They're like, you're meeting? We want to be a part of this. Our church won't meet. They don't have any day when they're going to meet. And so our church started growing during the pandemic because we were gathering together. Now, here's the funny part. It wasn't like I wasn't reading my Bible. It wasn't like I wasn't listening to the sermons. I was preaching some of the sermons. It wasn't like I wasn't singing and and doing all the things that you normally do. There was one thing that changed. It was being with God's people. That is the thing that changed everything and what it looks like. See, when the church and church community got put on trial, it won. Because we know that isolation is bad for us. We feel the effects when we're alone. The Apostle Paul all the time would be away from people. What do you say? Bring so-and-so. Bring my school. Have these people join me. I can't wait to be with you. Like He's always wanting to be with people. The, The biggest punishment he had was when he was locked up and he couldn't go and be with people. See, we saw the effects with all the individuals. If you look at the suicide rates, the depression rates, if you look at the, uh, all the psychologists, the counselors will tell you how detrimental it has been to our society to be in isolation. Look at the studies on what's been going on with the children today. All the students that have been outside of all of um, community and teaching, that we've seen the effects. We know that it is not good to be alone. We were meant and designed to be with others. God made us this way. 
He made the, when he made the church, he wanted it to reflect him. And he wanted it to show how we live with each other and how God's new people, God's new family interacts. And that the world would see God's family and how they act differently from the rest of the world and be drawn into it. And how life is better in community, not isolation. Now, there's a lot of verses that point to this idea. Uh, I want to look at two this morning to, just to kind of see what God's word says about this idea of being in community and gathering big. Today's topic is gathering big, the idea of worshiping corporately. That's what we're talking about. Um, the inspired word of God and the writer of the book of Hebrews, he points to this idea in Hebrews chapter 10 as he's talking about this idea of having an assurance of your faith and what it means to walk through life and know that you are saved, that you don't question your salvation, and what should help build into that as we do it. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You're more than welcome to grab one of those, use it. And if you don't own a Bible, keep it. We'd love for you to have God's Word. And he says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So at some point, the early church was thinking the same thing. Do we really need to meet together? Is it important for us to gather together? And the author is saying it absolutely is. And, and the author is actually saying this is what God says about this idea of meeting together, of, of spending time in community the way that you should be. As, as they were struggling with this idea of like, how do I know I'm saved? Am I really saved? He's saying, yeah, you do. And part of how that works is when you come together, that we would encourage each other, that we would spur each other on or to stir up. That word stir up or spur, if you start breaking it, it's almost like the word irritation, that it's to, to irritate you to a certain level. You're like, well, there's a lot of people in the church that apparently stir me up or spur me on then, Simon. It's not what it's like. It's more like a coach. If you've ever been in a sport and you've had a coach, they make you do things that you probably don't want to do. They make you do drills that you don't like. They push you farther than you really want to go because they understand the potential of where you could be and how much you could grow into who you can be if you listen to them and do what they're supposed to do. And the church body collectively is meant to do that, that we would encourage each other to love each other and live in such a way to be on mission. And that's what he's saying. He says that some of you, for some crazy reason, have decided that you're not going to meet together. That ain't working. See, we need others to look into our lives and to help us see the blind spots that we have. And you're like, I don't have any blind spots. That's my exact point. It's exactly what I'm getting at. You don't know what you don't know. I say it all the time. You need people to talk the crazy out of you. If left to your own devices, you will actually believe every thought that comes in your mind. And that is a dangerous place to live. You need people to help walk through life with you to point you in a direction that, that honors God. And these people weren't meeting together and it was causing the problems that they were starting to experience because they weren't collectively coming together. Now, we have been going to the book of Acts where it seems like an eternity uh, for the last three years on and off and we're getting close to the end here. 
And we've been going verse by verse and reading it so you all get to hear God's word in its totality in the book of Acts. And my hope is that you've actually seen a pattern coming out of the book of Acts. The theme of people living out their faith together. That's really what's going on. If you look at what Paul did, all Paul did was go from town to town to town. As he went there, he shared the gospel. He established a group of people that all were surrounded around one figure, Jesus Christ. And then he started planting these little communities. And these little communities started living together, submitting to God and all that they would do. And they called these churches. And he planted these churches all over. People existing in community, living together, showing the world what God's family looks like. See, the gospel creates community. That's what it does. It doesn't take it away. Jesus came to bring us back into community. You're like, what do you mean? Community with the Father. We had broken relationship, broken community with God the Father because of sin. Sin separated us. It pulled us away. Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden to be separated. What Jesus did is he came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He took the punishment that we deserved. He went to the cross and died for that. He gives us his righteousness. And anyone who has placed their life in the life of Jesus Christ can be brought back into that community, that relationship with God. That's what the gospel does. Jesus makes new things, and he makes a new family. Now, I want to share uh, another passage with you. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I, I go through it all the time. Uh, we've heard it. We've already gone through it once before, but I think it's just a good reminder of what this family looks like, God's family, how it exists and how it functions, and how all of it, ultimately revolves around the idea of worship together corporately. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, talking about the church, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This is a simple question. When we read about God's church, when we read about God's new family, when we read about these individuals, do we see people that are alone or together? It's, 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 I, I ask these dumb questions because it's like they're, they're no-brainers. They're all together. They're not individual people all on their own doing their own thing. That's not what they're doing. See, they're meeting together because it brings unity with God's people. One of the things that we hold to is the idea that we need to be a unified group of believers. And so when these people came together, they were so unified, the way they functioned was almost as one huge unit. As Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians about the body working together, that all these pieces work together as one unit, not an individual unit. That's really what he's talking about. See, one of the things we need to realize is that it's, it's hard in this world. Can we just own the fact that this world's tough? Amen. Yes. It is broken, it is messed up, and it is hard. As believers, 
If we allow the world and its message to beat us down over and over and over and over and over again, you will start to believe it. We need to be surrounded with truth. We need to be around other believers. We need to be under God's word. When we come together, it recharges and says, hey, guess what? We're not alone. We're not by ourselves in this. We can link arms together and move forward on God's mission for what he's called us to do. We can support each other. We can carry each other's burdens as we walk through life because we weren't meant to do it by ourselves. That's the beauty of what the church does when we come together. And there's things that are happening in this community. There are things that are taking place in the early church as a model for us. And I want you to start looking, as I read through each one, look at how worship is taking place. Worship of God the Father, worship of Jesus Christ, worship of the Holy Spirit. Like, the first thing is teaching. One of the things that we see here is that teaching was taking place. Um, We will always preach God's word here at the church. We're going to be in a passage. We're going to be in an entirety of scripture. We're going to be in the context of what's going on in that particular passage. Because here's the thing. There is no hope. There is no peace. There is no salvation. There is no rest in my words. There isn't. The only thing that saves, the only truth that we have is the word of God. So if we want to have the word of God wash over us, cleanse us, to convict us, to change us, we probably should be in God's word, right? And what we see in the early churches, they would read through the scrolls and the scriptures and what God was doing and God was doing, working through the Holy Spirit to communicate these truths to the church, that they would be under those. As worshiping God, like, well, how is teaching worshiping God? Because we're submitting to it. We're trusting it. We're believing it. We're putting our needs aside and saying, no, God, my ways are wrong and your ways are right, and I'm going to follow you. That is worship. So when we come together, we worship by sitting under God's perfect, holy word. We come together and we pray. There's something powerful about praying together, isn't there? I love that we prayed for Paul this morning. I love when you guys pray. We are saying, we are seeking you out, God. None of us have the answers. None of us have the ability. None of us have the capacity or the power to fix the thing we want, but we know the one who does, and you're the one who does. We are asking and pleading for you to do something amazing. And if it doesn't go our way, we trust that what you're doing is actually right and perfect. It's also when we pray together, uh, sometimes it's God will use the person praying for the other person to encourage them with God's word. Sometimes God uses you to pray for that person as they are in a, in a hard spot or needing love or help or whatever it may be. As you pray for them, you are giving them encouragement and a word from the Lord at times. You're a vessel. Sometimes it's not even about you. Sometimes it's not about them. Sometimes it's about them just hearing truth. Asking God to soften the hearts of individuals to come to know him, to love him, to worship him. Praying for people that are going through discouragement or brokenness, that God would bring them through that event. So we do that corporately. God is worshiped when we call out to Him as the one who does all things. We see the sacraments taking place, they're breaking bread, that they're taking communion. We see that in Matthew. We see um, 
Also, the, uh, the sacraments of taking communion and being baptized. We actually had the, the privilege, we're going to do it today, we're going to take communion together corporately, which I think is great how it all lined up. Almost like there's some supernatural being who's in control of all things, and I didn't plan that. Amen. We see that taking place, but we also see baptisms. Who is here uh, Christmas Eve morning? Got to see a baptism, didn't we? That was fantastic. That people are saying, I love and worship and follow Jesus with all my heart. I'm committed to being a part of his family. So we call those the sacraments, the thing that God has called us to do. And he is worshiped and honored when we do that. When we take communion, we remember what Jesus did. We worship him for his sacrifice. Praise him. We see fellowship taking place. Spending time together. Enjoy. We do fellowship a couple different ways here at the church. So maybe you've noticed we have this time of welcoming. That's a time of fellowship. That's why I can't get you guys to shut up. That's the reason. You guys like to be around each other. You enjoy each other. If I let you, you would spend an hour talking. That's a good thing. I got to reel it in, but that's a good thing, right? That means you enjoy each other, that friendships are developing through that. I will say this. I have said it a million times. I love the church. I used to ditch. I used to literally ditch school to go and hang out at church. That's weird. I know that's weird, but that's where all the people were that just loved me and cared for me and spent time with me. And so I would do that. Like, that's a good thing. We have a building called Fellowship Hall. Why? Because we want you to spend time together. And what better way to spend time together than over coffee or food? It's amazing how we just start talking when there's food, isn't it? It's just crazy. Hey, what are you doing? I don't know. Sit down and eat something. Let's drink something. Let's talk. And that's what we do. Like, God understands how this works. So when they're breaking bread, they're eating food together. They're spending time together. And lives start to intermingle in that way. It's a great way to do it. If you want to start a ministry, have food at your house and invite people. It's amazing. They'll show up and they'll talk. Now, I haven't preached on this yet. I'll get there. We'll get there at some point. But there is a generosity that flowed through the church that was just unparalleled. This... This idea that the individuals of the early church didn't see their belongings as theirs, they saw it as all of theirs. Like, it's not my money, it's our money. It's not my land, it's our land. It's not just your pain, it's my pain. Like, there's this thing like, oh, the guy's going to come up, he's going to ask for tithes and offerings, he's going to want my money, Ugh, I guess they'll give it so they'll get off my back. Let me just say this. If that is your attitude, I don't want your money. If that's your attitude... You're just doing it wrong and it's a waste anyway. The reality is they loved each other so much. They cared about each other so much that they were excited and dying to give their money, to sell their property, to share with other people, to help them out, to love for them, to care for them because out of their heart was this flow of generosity because they had seen the generosity of God by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and they wanted to be like their father. said, I want to give that way. I want to give supernaturally. I want to give where I'm trusting God to do everything that I can. And that's the kind of giving that takes place. And here as money comes in at the church, you're like, oh, yeah, you're just guys driving luxury sports cars and whatnot. No, we're not. Uh, but it does cost a lot of money to run a building and plumbing and water and repairs. But that's not where the bulk of it goes. Like, we want to be giving money away. 
Like we support missionaries all over the world. We give to organizations that are local in the states. A lot of you don't realize it, but there are members of our church that we have money that we give away to support them when they can't pay their rent, when they've lost their job, when they're in financial need, when they're in destitution, when they can't do what they need to do. The church comes along and does that. If you've received that, you understand how that feels. If you've ever been in that spot, it is a humbling position to be in. For nine months, my wife and I had to kind of work through that process of what it meant to not have a job, and the church helped us and walked alongside us. I am just eternally grateful for God's people and their generosity. The generosity flowed out of the early church because we care for family, don't we? That there was praise going on, that they would come together in a big group and they would lift their voices they would lift their praise. Like, I know that a lot of us have Baptist roots, and so the, my next line may be shocking. It's okay to say amen during a sermon. That's a way of praising. It doesn't just have to be singing. Like, you can't actually say amen. You're like, really? Amen, right? Amen. They see, it feels good. I'm like, now we're both talking. Now it's a conversation. But the reality is that we can do that by lifting our voices in prayer. We can do that by praising God. If something stirs up in you as you read God's word, how cool is it that you're like, that is good. That is truth. I needed that. Amen. That's the thing that we do. And we saw that through this process, growth was happening in the church. It says day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers. Meaning as the world saw this bizarre new community that was so different than everyone else. It was a dog-eat-dog world before that. I get mine, I do me, I do my thing, I get wealthy, and I survive. And suddenly this new community was so different. They lived in such a unique way that the world's like, what is going on there? Why are they living that way? And then we see that they were also serving each other. They would come and they would serve. They would use their gifts and abilities however they could. It's a beautiful picture. Like, it's no brainer why there was growth. Like, do you think the world needs this today? Do you think the world is, is, is needing a community that functions like this? Like, they want to be a part of and belong to a place where that's how they live and function? So many people long for fellowship and love and for care and for help and teaching truth so they can know what this world looks like and the meaning and the purpose of all of it. God's people met the needs of this world by being lights and lights of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. They were living out this new life. They were living out this new family. They were just acting like Christ. They didn't say, hey, here's our strategy for growth. They just acted like Christ. And this is the, this is the fruit that came from that. If you look at the Bible, it describes the church. It's interesting. There's a lot of different ways that the church is described in the Bible. One is a body with many members, a family with brothers and sisters, a nation with a lot of people that make it up, a temple and how it functions, living stones that come together to make these walls, a flock of sheep, and a bride. They're all about relationships, they're all about community. It always points not to the group. It points to the group, not the individual. And what we find is that Jesus says he's coming back for his bride. What does that mean? It means he's coming back for his church, for his people, for his family. 
the Western world, we get messed up because we just think it's about us. We're very individualistic. That is not what God has designed. The church is not a place. The church is a people doing life together. Like, we're very grateful for this building and this property. Very grateful. If it burns to the ground tomorrow, the church doesn't stop. Seriously, it doesn't. For 300 years, there was no church building. They just gathered where they could. We're going to go to the temple. We're going to go to the court. We're going to go to the gate. We're going to go find a field. We're going to find a hill. Where can we gather together? We're going to get in homes, big courtyards. That's what they did. And the church didn't just sustain it. It it thrived. It grew. We don't need a building. It's not a building. We don't go to church. We are the church. If we start thinking this way, it's very different than what that looks like. The word church, uh, the, the definition is an orderly congregation, specifically of those who trust in Jesus as the Messiah or those who compose it. It's the group of who we are. These are the things that we strive for here at Grace Hills. When we gather big, when we come together to worship, these are the things that we want. So we gather in a few different ways. And our hope is to expand how we do that as we move forward. Sunday morning is probably the one that we think of the most when we come here, isn't it? It's kind of the thing that we do. It's like, hey, this is the routine of what that looks like. We teach God's word. We sing together. We have a time of prayer. We give uh, thanks and tithes and offering. We serve people here on Sunday mornings. We spend time in fellowship hall. We take the sacraments. That's what we do. We're kind of doing a lot of those things. But that's not the only place where this gather big happens. And it shouldn't be the only place where this happens. I mean, we do it in other times. We just don't think about it, do we? Like Good Friday is not Sunday, right? That's supposed to be called something different. That makes sense. It's just logic. Good Friday, we get together. We celebrate the sacrifice that was made so we could have peace with God. About four times a year, we have songs of grace. We come together. We focus on an aspect or an idea of God, of what Christ did. We sing about that. We then teach about that and what that means to our lives. Christmas Eve service is a great time where we come together outside of our normal rhythms, though this year it was on Sunday. Thanksgiving dinner. Who was in here for Thanksgiving? Fantastic time. We transformed the entire room. And it was a time where we worshiped. We gathered big. And it was a time where we ate and we heard an amazing testimony and we enjoyed each other. It was a good time. We have barbecues throughout the summer that we get together and we try to get our our people together as much as we can. And our hope is that we're going to create more opportunities for prayer nights as well that we can gather together and just spend time focused on prayer. See, we long for the day when we will be with God, don't we? Anyone think that? Like, just can't God just hurry up and get back? I'm just done here. Can we just kind of like call this over and be with you? Because that's really going to be the best. We know that we'll be with him perfectly for forever and his perfect love, his perfect acceptance, his perfect grace, his perfect mercy. We know that life is found in him and him alone. It's funny, as, as John was writing uh, the book of Revelation, he gets to the end of it and he just kind of says this thing at the very end. So chapter 22, verse 20, he's kind of wrapping everything up. It says, he who testifies these things, that's Jesus, says, surely I'm coming soon. He's like, Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. And what does he say? Amen. (laughs) So be it. 
Come, Lord Jesus. We want that. We desire that. Do you know that when we go to be with the Lord, either by death and we cross over, he comes back, that we will be gathering together in a very large group? We are going to be with the supper of the Lamb, eating together, fellowshipping, praising him, exalting what he did. When we gather corporately like this, we get to be a picture, be it a dim picture, an imperfect picture of what eternity will look like. Think about that. We will gather together, worshiping God, doing the things that we just talked about in his glory, in his presence. And he's so, this, it's hard to get our minds around it. He is so glorious. He is so amazing that we will do that for eternity and it will never, ever, ever, ever get old. That's how big he is. That's how great he is. That's how amazing, how much majesty that he has. It's where every tongue, tribe, and nation come together. You know what I love when I look around this room? I see so many different people from so many different parts of the world. I love the diversity of our church from different nations that speak different languages, that are different ages. Generationally, we're different. Socioeconomic backgrounds are very different. But what brings us together? It's one thing. The blood of Jesus Christ, which is stronger than our earthly blood with our family. Because this is eternal. When we come together, we're standing united with the united message. You ever been to a concert? I love going to concerts. I just, I love concerts. Uh, I used to go to a lot of them when I was younger. Annette and I have gone to a number of concerts. Our boys, uh, they're starting to get excited about going to concerts and being there and just being with that many people. Um, there's just something about it, right? You, you stand in a, in a room or an outdoor theater and you're all there with one single focus, aren't you? I am here to listen to this artist play these songs that I adore, that I love, that I, I think about, that I, the, the talent is there. And so we start giving worth and honor and glory to the artists and the art that they produce, don't we? Like, you don't go there like, I hate this band. I'm going to go and watch them. Ah! No one does that because it's expensive. There's a lot of work to do that. If you do that, that's weird. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> but we go because we admire that. When we come here, we are giving worth and honor and praise to our Father who loves us so much and sent his Son to die for us. And with one voice, we say, Yes and Amen. Yes, we love our Savior. Yes, he is our everything. Without him, we have nothing. We give all of our appreciation, and it doesn't fade. You know what I love about my job? I don't have to work that hard. I open God's word. I read it. I say the same thing every week. This is who God is. This is what God's done. This is his son, Jesus. This is how he died for our sins. You're like, that seems like an easy job. It kind of is. I don't make anything up. I just read God's word and talk about it. You guys are like, you always talk about the gospel, and I will until you fire me. 
or I die. One of those two will happen. That's what we're going to do here. That's the most important thing. But you know what's funny? It never gets old, does it? You keep coming back. Well, most of you do. Hey, online people. <laughs> Too soon? I don't know. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's going to get me. Um, the other thing that it shows is that we're a picture of the gospel. I've talked a little bit about this, but as sin is separated from God, we were alone and distant from him. When Jesus came to this earth on his mission, he brought us back to God. When we all come together, what we're seeing is this, this micro picture of how we all come together. See, the vertical relationship that God has taken care of with his son Jesus is now expressed horizontally with each other. And so the world sees this picture of unity where there shouldn't be unity, and now we have it. The early church was this giant that giant light that drew people in. They've never seen anything like that. The people on the fringe that thought that this was it, this is as good as it gets, realized that all of a sudden that they were welcomed in, that they were honored, they were a part of a family. You know, Jesus talks about orphans and widows all the time, doesn't he? Well, they don't have family. And he's bringing them into family. One of the most beautiful things that we could possibly have on this earth is a picture of the family of God that we see on this level here that we can exist in and grasp and have a tangible uh, feel and taste with. We get to be that same message today, you guys. As we gather big, we are communicating on a much broader scale what God has done. When we meet, we spur each other on. We encourage each other. We stir each other up to be more like Christ. When we meet like this, we cry out a battle charge to the enemy into the darkness that you're not winning. For those that have placed their faith in Jesus, the enemy doesn't win. There is hope. There is peace. There is salvation. There is rest. And there is a hope for the future knowing that this is as bad as it will ever get. That we cling to that. If you're going through hard times, my hope is that you come here and you feel recharged and refreshed and loved on by others as you walk through these doors. Maybe you're like, too much, Simon. Too much love. I'd rather err on that side than the other. My question as I end today is this. How do you view the church? Do you view it as a building? Do you view it as a place that you go to? Or do you view it as a family that you've been invited into with all the benefits and the privileges that come from being a part of that family? Do you see the value in gathering together? Do you see community as something that's important? Or do you truly believe that isolation is best for you? Because I'll just tell you this, I just don't see it anywhere in the Bible. I just don't see it anywhere. Do you want to be in God's community? Do you want to be a part of an eternal family? you don't have to earn to get into, that honestly we just don't deserve to be a part of, but it solely rests on the goodness and the love of the Father 
and the sacrifice of the Son that welcomes anyone in, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've gone through, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how much you've rejected God, that God is calling you back to his family. Come be a part of my family. Surrender your life and let me be your heavenly father where you can worship me for forever. If you've never done that, I would offer you to come and talk with me. I would love to talk with you. Any of our elders would love to talk with you. I'll be off on the side later, but what we're gonna do right now is something that I think is really kind of important. We're gonna take communion together. We're gonna take it corporately. We're gonna take, I'm gonna invite the band to come on up and uh, we're gonna take you. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll move into time of communion. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the church. It's just so hard to even try to put words into this beautiful thing that you've created for us to enjoy, to be a reflection of you, to be this new family that we've all been adopted into, that we were on the fringe, that we were widows, that we were orphans, and you are the God that brings those in, and you care for us, and you love us. Lord, ask as we strive to be a church as we gather in large community that we would be a worshiping church and not just in song but in word and in deed and in thought and in action and in serving and in giving and that the world would see this community and how different that it looks and how when we just live out what it means to be like you you do amazing things in the lives of those that are lost and broken. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.